This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome. We expect to be joined in today's program by some old pals, including, we hope, our Australian correspondent, Miss Pamela Taylor, along with the charming Elena Newport of the Capitol Steps, with whom we spoke several weeks back, and, if luck was with us, late in the show, actor Sylvester Stallone. But let us begin today's program, as we always like to do, with On This Date in History, our date being the 23rd of May. It was on May 23rd in 1827 that a school to, quote, relieve parents of the laboring classes from the care of their children, unquote, was established in New York City. It was America's first nursery school. On this date in 1876, American baseball player Joe Borden of Boston pitched the first no-hit game in National League history. On May 23rd in 1934, the law finally caught up with American bank robbers Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker. They were shot to death by Texas and Louisiana State Police as they drove a stolen car near Bienville Parish, Louisiana. Police said the pair had attempted to flee. More likely the reason for the fusillade was that Bonnie and Clyde had killed five policemen. And yes, Mr. Merlin has chosen to accompany that little piece with some great banjo music by Flat and Scruggs, which I hope won an Oscar for the Arthur Penn movie. May 23, 1945, Heinrich Himmler, chief of Adolf Hitler's SS, assistant chief of the Gestapo, and architect of the Nazis' extermination of the German Jews, swallowed cyanide to commit suicide in a German prison one day after his capture. To which we at Radio Parallax add, good. And four years later, May 23, 1949, Soviet leader Joseph Stalin lifted the Berlin blockade. A 10-month American airlift of goods kept 2.5 million Berliners from starvation and freezing at the expense of 75 U.S. airmen's lives. The airlift made West Berlin a symbol of resistance to communism. Our quote of the day comes from George Santayana, who said, There is wisdom in turning, as often as possible, from the familiar to the unfamiliar. It keeps the mind nimble, it kills prejudice, and it fosters humor. We think Mr. Santayana's on to something with that. Our quip of the day comes from poet James Richardson, who said, Sophistication is upscale conformity. Our joke of the day is as follows. A woman gets on a bus with her baby. The bus driver says, No offense, ma'am, but that's about the ugliest baby I've ever seen. The woman is clearly miffed. The bus driver adds, Ah, but don't worry, he'll outgrow it. I did. But the woman is still steamed. She walks to the rear of the bus and sits down, fuming. Man next to her says, what's wrong? She says, that bus driver just insulted me. Man says, then you ought to go right up there and tell him off. You know, I should, says the woman. You go right ahead and do it, says a man. And don't worry, I'll hold your monkey for you. Our stat of the day comes from the Huffington Post, which took a look at the supposedly unfolding big scandal about Benghazi. And while it is sad to note that four Americans did die in the attacks on the embassy in Libya, 
Lost in the shuffle by all the Republican hubbub is the following. During George W. Bush's presidency, there was not one but 13 attacks on U.S. consulates and embassies, which left dozens of Americans dead. To list just a few, the 2002 attack by an Islamic extremist on the U.S. consulate in Calcutta, which killed five, the suicide bombing at the U.S. consulate in Karachi, which killed 12 and injured 51, and also the 2003 assault by the al-Qaeda terrorists on the diplomatic compound in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, which killed nine Americans. Asked Bob Seska in the Huffington Post, how come Republicans so outraged at Benghazi didn't protest those attacks? Well, Radio Parallax's guess is that that would not have nothing to do with keeping Hillary Clinton from becoming president one day. We should uh, digress for a moment to the fact that there's much talk now about three scandals engulfing the Obama presidency, some of which seems legitimate. We would join the editorial panel at the Sacramento Bee in asking, why does the Justice Department need so many reporters' phone records? We've corresponded with numerous people who have been very down on the Obama administration for uh, its policies regarding national security, which seem very much to be an extension of the Bush-Cheney policies. Noted the Bee, during Obama's first term, the Justice Department prosecuted six former and current government officials under the 1917 Espionage Act. Under all previous presidents, there were only three such prosecutions. They note that some cases did carry over from the Bush administration, but there's been bipartisan support for a tougher stance after 9-11, and technology does make it easier to track emails, phone calls, and other communications. Something we've talked about before and we'll talk about again. In addition to the probably legitimate uh, scandal about uh, the investigation of AP and the phony baloney scandal about... uh, Uh, the supposed outrageous breakdown of security in Libya, we also have the matter of the Tea Party. Now, this correspondent does not regard all the Tea Party's ideas as crazy and cockamamie. No, only some of them. But this alleged scandal of the IRS uh, supposedly giving a rough go to Tea Party-affiliated groups as they file for non-profit status and thus pay no taxes, well... Maybe this one is best summed up by Matt Bores, whose cartoon appeared in the B. First panel was, at the office of Liberty Freedom Tea People Pack. <laughs> Here's a man going, go ahead and put the boxes of anonymous cash in the corner for now. We'll need them later for the lie-filled ad blitz meant to throw a national election. Fourth panel, sir, it's the IRS. They sent us a questionnaire. Man in the last panel, my God, is this even a democracy anymore? But uh, we do have to ask, you know, who is watching the watchers? What's the Department of Justice up to? Well, one thing we know they're not up to is uh, prosecuting people on Wall Street for their commission of massive fraud to uh, bilk the American public. I hope you caught the piece on Frontline earlier this week. It was actually rebroadcast uh, showing various people at the DOJ explaining why, why it was they just couldn't go ahead with the prosecution because, you know, after all, these banks are awful big and, boy, they have some good lawyers. It's really hard to go after them. Emphasizing that, well, if you, if you can't show intent to commit fraud, you know, we, we may not win, so we just won't prosecute at all. At one point, they showed, a, they showed a man whose job it was to work in the due diligence departments of these loan companies, wherein the orders from the banks came on down from high of, you know, just approve everything that comes in front of you. When they asked the low-level guy if he thought that taking this evidence before a jury could get a conviction, he just chuckled and said, yeah, I love the jury would have too much trouble deciding whether this was a you know, deliberate fraud or not. 
But apparently the big wigs of the DOJ didn't agree. And, of course, uh, one of the guys they showed in the program who was kind of talking mealy mouth about how, well, you know, we really couldn't do this. You know, I don't know. I'm gee whiz. At the end of the program, which I don't think was in the first version I saw some months back, they just sort of mentioned that, yeah, he did leave the, uh, the Department of Justice and now works as a lawyer for some of the big Wall Street firms that he neglected to prosecute. But I do want to note a rather refreshingly honest uh, headline from Charles Babington, reporting for the AP, appeared in numerous uh, publications. I won't quote from the text, but just to cite the headline, which is that GOP hopes Benghazi can tarnish Clinton for 2016 race, which I think pretty much is the beginning and the end of that scandal. But to hear a lot of political pundits tell it, boy, Obama's second term is in trouble already. Of course, it is interesting to note that in this, uh, this observer's lifetime, the second term of presidents generally does uh, have problems. Thinking of LBJ after he got reelected, or Nixon during Watergate, or Reagan during Iran-Contra, or Clinton with Monica Lewinsky, or George W. Bush for, I don't know, everything he did. So yeah, it does sort of seem that the powers that be like to step in and just make sure that, uh, that uh, the guy who doesn't have to worry about being elected, who's only looking to just finish out his term in the presidency, doesn't just get all that frisky. At least that's one possibility. Let, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for dramatic comebacks. After mourners filing past Brighton Dama Zanthe's coffin at his funeral screamed in terror when the 34-year-old Zimbabwean began moving and woke up, said Zanthe, I feel okay now. And you know, Radio Parallax is going to, ha- you know, Radio Parallax is going to have to put a call into uh, our favorite Zim- Zimbabwean physician, that would be Dr. Abishai Romano of Stockton, California, to find out whether this sort of thing happens back in Zimbabwe, because Kind of an unusual deal. Anyway, it was conversely a bad week last week for New York's finest. After that city's fire department was called out to rescue a police officer who got stuck up in a tree trying to save a scared cat. When uh, firefighters arrived on the scene, according to witnesses, quote, they all gathered around and laughed at him, unquote. And it was an ugly week last week for honeymoons with the news that a newlywed wife on a Florida honeymoon called 911 when her husband went missing. She was subsequently told by police that he'd been arrested for attempting to hire a prostitute. And boy, I know I'm no expert, but that that just doesn't bode well for that marriage. But I have to say it was an uglier still week for publicity stunts. After a Missouri movie theater hired an actor, okay, stay with me on this one, hired an actor to dress in tactical gear and storm an Iron Man 3 screening with a fake rifle, leading terrified moviegoers to call 911. Cinnamon manager Bob Wilkins said he wanted to whip up excitement for the movie, adding, my job is to entertain people. And finally, it was a good, bad, and I suppose ugly also, week for wearing layers, 
after the temperature in Omaha, Nebraska, apparently went from 32 degrees on Sunday to 101 degrees on Tuesday. Both temperatures set records for May. And I guess, oh, this whole idea that the climate's changing. <laughs> How ridiculous. How about this one from the Only in America file? We're indebted to the week for all of these. This one's quite special, I think. Apparently, wealthy Manhattanites are paying handicapped tour guides to help their kids circumvent long lines at Disney World. Yes, apparently these enterprising guides charge $130 an hour to pose as family members and use their handicap privileges to get on rides without waiting. Apparently one parent told the New York Post, you can't go to Disney without a tour concierge. This is how the 1% does Disney. Boy, you know, why don't the Occupy movement people just get together and just beat the hell out of these folks? And I'm not saying they ought to go out and do it, but if I was serving on a jury of someone prosecuted for doing it, I'd, I'd vote to acquit. And we should add, perhaps, at this point, that the idea that it might be okay to beat up wealthy Manhattanites who hire handicapped people to beat the lines at Disney World does not necessarily represent the opinion of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. I had to note the juxtaposition of a couple articles I pulled for last week's program and didn't quite get around to. How about this one? Mike McIntyre, New York Times, reprinted in the B. A piece from January, actually. Which has the following headline. Gun industry steps up its outreach to youths. Subheadline. Shooting contests and magazine are used in marketing. Notes the article. Threatened by long-term declining participation in shooting sports... The firearms industry has poured millions of dollars into a broad campaign to ensure its future by getting guns into the hands of more and younger children. Let's juxtapose that against this item, which was from last week. Uh, Dateline, uh, Burksville, Kentucky. Mother in that town was feeding her dog on the porch when she heard a gun go off inside the house. There she discovered her two-year-old daughter fatally shot in the chest by her five-year-old son, who had his very own... 22 caliber rifle. The gun had been a birthday present. A single shot cricket sold under the marketing slogan, My First Rifle. Which I suppose is a bit snappier than My First Homicide. Apparently a local coroner called the toddler's death just one of those crazy accidents. This caused the New Jersey Star-Ledger in editorial to note, This tragedy was entirely predictable and preventable. The inevitable result of a fringe gun culture that blocks any laws that would make gun owners, manufacturers, and sellers legally accountable for their actions. And noted Michael Paul Williams in the Richmond, Virginia Times-Dispatch. Last month alone, four kids accidentally fired guns at a sibling or parent, including a four-year-old boy who killed his mother. Adding, you can hold the Second Amendment in the utmost reverence and still concede that something is out of whack here. Yet noting that Keystone Sporting Arms, which makes crickets, will keep on selling firearms specifically designed to appeal to kids in colors such as hot pink or in multicolor swirls. Let's stop and go back to that piece by McIntyre in the New York Times, noting that the industry's strategies to get guns in the hands of more and younger children include giving firearms, ammunition, and cash to youth groups, weakening state restrictions on hunting by young children, marketing an affordable military-style rifle for junior shooters, and sponsoring semi-automatic handgun competitions for youths, along with developing a target-shooting video game that promotes brand-name weapons. Something is out of whack. Of course, we are grateful for the fact that down in Guatemala City, 
A court there found former dictator Efrian Rios Montt guilty of ordering the 1982-83 killings of at least 1,700 members of the Mayan Ixil indigenous group. They sentenced him to 80 years in prison. Of course, he'll get out, I guess, when he's 166. This has been noted to be the first time a former head of state has been found guilty of genocide by a court in his own country. For years, Rios Montt uh, got elected to Congress in Guatemala, which gave him immunity from prosecution, but when he stepped down, they went after him. To which we say, good on ya in Guatemala. But uh, not good on ya across the Guatemalan border into Belize, where the news is that a Belizean construction company apparently bulldozed one of the country's largest ancient Mayan pyramids. And wait, it gets worse. The 2,300-year-old Nomol Mound was dug out and crushed into gravel for use in road building. Said Jaime Awe, who's uh, described as the head of Belize's Institute of Archaeology, it's like being punched in the stomach. Why can't people just go and quarry somewhere that has no cultural significance? It's mind-boggling. And it even gets worse still. Peace notes that According to reports, many lesser Mayan mounds have already been raised for road fill. Apparently the police in Belize are trying to determine what company was responsible and criminal charges could be filed. And uh, to go further out in left field, let's, let's pull this item out. Apparently Pope Francis, the new pontiff, has made Catholic history by canonizing 800 new saints in one day. These new saints were apparently Italians from the port town of Otranto, which is overrun by the Ottoman Turkish army in 1480. The townspeople barricaded themselves in the cathedral and refused to convert to Islam. Males older than 15 were beheaded. The decision to elevate the entire group to sainthood, which is noted might strain relations between the church and Muslims, was made by Pope Benedict XVI on his last day in office. And this may be outside the bounds of what we usually talk about here in Radio Parallax, but I would just like to venture to say that If you are a devout Catholic captured by Muslim jihadists and they demand your conversion to Islam, my recommendation is just to go along with Allahu Akbar. As Mr. McMillan puts it, keep your head and unconvert later. And I endorse that. All right, we got to take a break in a minute, but we do want to doff our hat to a former Radio Parallax guest. That would be former Republican presidential candidate and Representative Pete McCloskey. Last week, he was assisting some surfers in San Mateo County who are protesting the restriction of their access to the beach at Martins Beach, south of Half Moon Bay. Helping to litigate this case is Pete McCloskey, who is, by the way, the co-founder of Earth Day. Now, this correspondent is quite familiar with the beach in question, having spent a lot of time playing there as a child. And I was curious to note in the newspaper articles, I was curious to note in the reporting on this uh, particular incident of protest by surfers with McCloskey showing up, etc., that uh, it's now been revealed who the mysterious millionaire is who apparently bought the entire 53 acres for $37 million some years back. He's been trying to hide under a couple of LLCs, Martins Beach 1 and Martins Beach 2, but apparently the man behind this is venture capitalist Vinod Kolsa, who made a fortune in clean technology. Now, I'm not sure exactly what the law is in California. I believe you have to have access to beaches and cannot cut them off because the beaches, after all, belong to all of us, do they not? Well, apparently San Mateo County officials told whoever's representing Vinod Kolsa that uh, 
a coastal development permit was needed to bar the gate and alter public access. This prompted the LLCs to file suit against the county and Coastal Commission. They sought a declaration that they were, quote, not required to allow public access to Martins Beach at all, unquote. A judge instead ruled that they first had to, quote, comply with the administrative process provided by the California Coastal Act, unquote. As a result, the owner did nothing, and the gate stayed locked. We're going to have to get that rascal Pete McCloskey on this program to talk about this particular incident. He was the most entertaining guest some years back when he ran in the Republican primary to try and unseat Richard Pombo. He was not able to beat the incumbent in the Republican primary, but apparently weakened him enough to where he lost the general election that subsequent November. McCloskey is quite a guy. Back in 1972, he challenged Richard Nixon for the Republican nomination for president, which is uh, something that usually doesn't happen given our corrupt system of party politics. He didn't get very close to getting the nomination. I believe the actual vote tally was Nixon, 1,308, McCloskey won. But damn it, we like his style and the fact that he gave it his best. And we're giving it our best here, but let's take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. 